You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. This episode of Animal Party is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com forward slash Animal Party. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Hello! Welcome to the animal party. Actually, today I should be saying ciao meow, because this is going to be a cat show. It certainly is. But before we take a walk on the kitty side, I want to give you some news items. And I'm going to welcome my guest, who's here already. So we're at the party starting right away. This is Marcy Kladnick, and she's from Santa Barbara, California. She's from an organization called CatalystForCats.org. So even if you don't own a cat yourself, and you're not a pet cat person, you're probably going to like this show because it's all about cats in the wild and feral cats and what we're doing to control their populations and how that all works and what you can do. But before we get going on that, I'm just going to say hi, Marcy. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. This is really a great honor to join you on your show this time. Oh, it's nice to have you. You know, we were just talking before we came on air about the whale. People have been seeing on the Internet news and on TV that there was a gray whale, big one, Swimming around downtown Vancouver yesterday, going by Science World, going by Bridges Restaurant, going by all the fancy condos and the shopping malls, and and apparently it was probably eating herring, but um, it was in there. It was right in downtown. Can you believe it? No. Well, actually, yes, I can believe it because we have them coming into our harbor in Santa Barbara, too, when they migrate past. So it's really kind of Well, fun. here it's a pretty rare sighting. The gray whales do come by Vancouver, but they're usually in the open ocean. They come a little bit into town, but it's a much more open bay, and it's much closer to the actual strait and then the open ocean where they usually come. And uh, But no one's ever seen one this far in. And then today, to top it all off, it was in there for about four or five hours yesterday. So the commuter buses that are on the water, the sea buses, had to detour around it. The Coast Guard was out there making sure people didn't interfere with it. Kayaking school lessons were going on and the whale was kind of checking them out and they were checking him out. Um, tourists were lining all around Granville Island where they have their bakery and their cappuccinos and usually jugglers get a lot of attention and musicians, well, I guess they weren't getting much attention yesterday because <laughs> hundreds of people were lining <laughs> the, the pier to look down on this whale who was moseying along and eating. And there's a little bit of a worry in that there's been a lot of pollution right in that very urban water and so people are worried. They tried to move it off because they're worried that it might be eating polluted things from the bottom. But they're hoping it's feeding on a herring school that hatched further upstream and that it'll, it'll get out of there and stay out of there. Now, the very next morning, a school of dolphins came into the same area and was delighting crowds again. So maybe this is a sign that the waters have recovered. Maybe this is a sign that we're doing better and uh, there's a reason they're feeding there. Or maybe it's a sad sign that there's just no good healthy food in the ocean anyway, and this is the best they can do. I don't know. I don't know how to interpret it, but it is such a thrilling sight to see these marine mammals coming so close to us. And another related story I want to tell you all about, the biggest beaver dam in the world was found. And the strange part about this is it's got no roads, no streams, no rivers, no water sources that anyone can figure out. It's in the middle of nowhere and um, in, a, in a park in Canada, in Alberta's Wood Buffalo National Park, and it's 850 meters long. But it just makes me wonder 
how the beaver might be able to help us in the future in terms of water. Because obviously they can get water where there is none and create lakes where, where there is none. So there's going to be a lot of study of this beaver dam. But now that we've talked a little bit about that, I want to welcome you to the show. And the first thing I want to ask you before we go to a break is maybe you could give us an equation in your cat math. And then we'll go to break and we'll come back and we'll explain why this screwy math you do actually makes sense. So what's a good cat math equation for us? Well, the best one was from this January, and it was 1 times 3 equals 20. 1 times 3 equals 20. Okay, everybody. So we're going to go to break. We're going to listen to a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back to the party with Marcy Kladnick. She's going to tell you about the feral cats of Santa Barbara and how 1 times 3 equals 20 in her world. Stay tuned. Because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Hey, boy, how you doing? <coughs> what am I doing? <coughs> I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? <coughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your life book page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. (coughs) No, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial life book. (coughs) No, not for Grandma, but we can make one for Fluffy, remember her? And we can even put links to our favorite pet charity. And friends can make donations. People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com or they can sign up on the Pet Life Radio homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. Hey, come back here! <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com You're inside the VIP room With the hottest party in town Back to the party Let's go Ciao, meow. We're back with Marcy Kladnick from CatalystForCats.org. You can check it out right now. Go there, click on it, check it out, and see what they're up to. But we're going to hear it from Marcy. So how can 1 times 3 equal 20? This isn't new math. This is cat math. What is it? Well, it's just an equation that that shows uh, how voraciously feral cats breed out in the wild. Uh, This January, I trapped four young cats in our local park. There was one male, and there were three females, and they were the kittens that got away last fall, so they were still uh, around six months old or less. All three of those kittens were pregnant, 
and they were pregnant with large litters. It was five, five, oh. and six when we spayed them. Um, oh, shame. And, All the babies died. Well, yeah, but they would have, it was much easier and much better at that time to do it that way because if they, went, if they are born into the wild, only 50% of those kittens would have lived anyway and because of the predation. We have mountain lions that come down. We have coyotes all around. There are cars. Uh, starvation is a big one uh, in disease. So it was much easier and much better to just abort these 16 kittens. But that would have gone from my back to the cat math of one times three. Right. It would have gone from four cats to 20 cats overnight in that park. So that's just an equation, and it changes, obviously, with the population of how many males and how many females are, are there, but that, that is a very, it's just a good representation of what happens out there in the wild if we do not trap, neuter, and then return the, uh, the ferals back to where we pick them up. So it's probably pretty upsetting to you when you encounter people who don't bother to spay or neuter their own pet cats because they are part of the problem. They probably don't think they're part of the problem, but they're definitely part of the problem. Can you just tell them why it's so important? And there are ways to get it done cheap. There are ways, there are special days and special events, and it shouldn't cost you a lot, but it'll save you in the long run, actually, because cats who aren't neutered, they go out and they look for trouble. They get hit by cars. They have fights. They cause all kinds of problems, and they get into trouble. And then, of course, there's the kittens and the destruction that goes with it when you have all that action going on in your yard. But, um, but let's, from the perspective of what you deal with, how important is it for people to neuter and spay their own pets, even if they think they're not going to get out? Well, it, it's really uh, important because that was a good point that you just made about even if you don't think they're going to get out, they will find a way out. And it just, it takes them a split second to dash through that partially open door and then they're gone. You can't get them back because the... Oh, you'll get her back all right. You'll get her back pregnant. (laughs) She'll stay out until she's pregnant. Or she will have, or she will have her kittens. She'll stay out and have her kittens where you can't find them. And then there they are and you, and you can't find them. And, and so then if you bring her in, then those kittens are going to starve. So that's horrible. This is absolutely horrible. And actually, our feral population stems originally from pets that either got away, were thrown out of the house, or were, you know, that migrated here from somebody else and they got out of somebody's car or something. So they, they went wild and then they just breed. If they're not spayed or neutered, which is actually healthier for the animal anyway in the long run, they live longer because, one, they don't have the urge to fight it's better for the, the community because the males don't go around spraying on everything, uh, you know, children's toys yeah. in your backyard, your front porch when you're having guests. There's I mean, less really at stake, wonderful. all the territorial marking, all the battles and the explorations and the, right. the <laughs> journeys are cut. They don't have any reason to go anywhere or claim any turf, so they stop bothering. And that makes it right. way easier to get along. Even I suppose even in the colonies, they must be so much more gentle than if they weren't. If you had 40 or 50 cats living together and they were intact, they'd be fighting every day, wouldn't they? And mating and oh, fighting. They would. Well, they would. Yeah, and so and when, when the female has her kittens, she will eventually uh, chase the boys away. She'll, she'll keep the, the female kittens with her because they're not a threat, but she will she will force the young males away and then they have to wander and find their own colony where, you know, they can breed not with their mother or their sisters. So, they, so it's, it's just a continuing thing. So the, that's why the tomcats 
Rome because they're looking for a new colony. And then they have It sounds to like a place. really hard life. How long does a, a wild cat, a feral cat in a colony like this, even with your help, how long do they live? Well, with our help, they live longer. But um, if they were left intact, they only live around two or three years due to, you know, all the diseases. And also when, when they fight and they break the skin and they bite, that's when they get the diseases passed from one to another, like the feline leukemia, the FIV, which is the feline AIDS, basically, or uh, HIV, and rabies, that, you know, is passed through the bite. Well, when you catch yeah. these cats, so you go out to this place where they're all living in the wild because people have released them and they're reproducing like crazy, and you go out and you catch them all, and you mm-hmm. neuter and spay them all, mm-hmm. you cut their ears so you know which ones you've caught, I read that on your website, and mm-hmm. then you release them again. Do you not give them shots for rabies and like maybe, I don't know, some other things too when no, you want to get no. them healthy? Oh, we do. Well, when we take them, when we catch them, they are given a, uh, an examination by a vet. If they are ill with something that's very infection, they will be put down. So it will protect the population that is still out there. And also, you realize that your pets are mingling with these cats also. So if the feral cats are ill, your pet can bring it home. And mm-hmm. if you have more cats in, in the house. So um, during this pet exam, they are vaccinated for rabies and they're vaccinated for distemper. And they really only need one of those vaccinations a year, or not a year, but uh, once in their life if they're an adult. So that, that helps protect everybody. And then the chances for disease. And they are also treated for fleas, too. And that everybody knows how bad that is out there. So even if it kills a few hundred fleas, it's better than... <laughs> None. Well, you know what? I imagine that in your climate, because I know you're calling from California, Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. that things... I remember traveling with our standard poodles to Florida, southwest Florida, and the flea problem, which we never really experienced at home in Canada, was all of a sudden we were at battle. You know, (laughs) this was Mm -hmm. a big deal, you know, and we had to go at it, shave it down, and and, um, it was a big deal. Probably you get kittens all year round where the rest of us might not... We might have a little breathing space in the winter. Yes, unfortunately, with the warm weather, especially last year, it was so warm for so late, and it it, uh, warmed up early in the spring, too, that the kittens started popping up early. And this year, we are having uh, very large litters because we've had so much rain this year. And if you're trying to figure out why that would happen, it's because there's more food for the rodents and the birds out there. So because there's more food, the litters are larger. So we're dealing with that again this year, too. And, the, and with the warm weather, that's when the kitten season starts. And if we have an extraordinarily warm year, then the kitten season is 12 months instead of only nine months. Okay, you just mentioned birds, and I want to talk about birds because mm-hmm. I see here that my cats tend to bring in far more rodents than they do birds. So it's like one bird a year, if that. And from the looks of it, the birds look like they're babies and they probably were out of the nest too early and would have been caught by something else. Seems to me they can spend all day trying to catch a hummingbird underneath a hummingbird feeder and never get lucky, whereas they bring in rats, moles, voles, you know, house mice, farm mice, every kind of rodent you can think of, really quite efficiently. And so mm-hmm. I want to know why are the bird people so, or many of the bird people, I should say, not all of them, but many of the bird lobbyists, they seem to quote incorrect stats, saying things like a billion songbirds are killed every year by feral cats, which isn't true. And why do they seem to treat all the birds indigenous, yet cats is 
aliens. And why do they think you're such a threat? Your colonies are such a threat. I don't get that. For me, the baby chicks I have in the coop have to be protected from the rodents around here. They're okay against the cats already. When they're not, you know, once they have their feathers, they're fine with the cats. But they got to watch it with the mice and the rats and things that come at night. And so I have to keep them closed off until they're big enough to stand up to the rodents. If I didn't have cats, there's no way I could have baby chickens around. And so I really don't understand why people are so against the cats. Is it a problem you see? Are the cats really uh, hitting the songbirds? Um, well, well, here again, it's population control. Uh, if the cats are left to breed. Uh, and the colony becomes huge, yes, they're going to eat everything and anything that they can catch, including songbirds. This is another reason why right. we trap and neuter, and then we return them it, because we control this population. We also have feeding stations, so we can monitor the number of cats, we can monitor their health, and we can monitor if any new cats show up, so we can catch them and bring them into the program. And the songbirds, uh, decimation of songbirds is more than just feral cats, and it's more than just rodents, and it's more than just the hunting birds that come well, and, and take them. Well, it's things like pollution, habitat, airplanes, pesticides, fertilizers, Absolutely. cars. Cars is a big one. But things we can control are things like the herbicides and the pesticides we use, the golf course runoff, the pollution we throw away, those plastic rings we've talked about before that go on the uh, pop containers and um, the six-packs. They have to be cut up. Otherwise, birds get into them and they get into trouble because they look like food to them. So we have to be really conscious of this kind of thing. But I do think, I mean, when I picture a sensitive nesting area, if there weren't some feral cats there, I think it would be overrun with, with rodents taking the eggs and taking the chicks and, and harassing the birds. So I think there is a balance there. But I do understand that in, in one case, he mentioned the cats were a threat to the birds, so you relocated them. So it sounds like you're quite reasonable about this. Okay. Right. Now, we, what happens to cats when they can't go back to where they're from, like in that case? Well, in that case, then we find a relocation site for them. In the case of trapping ferals in, say, an urban situation, we don't want them to go back to the parking lot where they came from or, or right. they're in an apartment complex or whatever. So what we'll do, if they're the right coloring, uh, dark cats actually are best for barn situations. We have plenty of ranches and farms around, uh, around us, outlying, uh, you know, in the outlying uh, valleys. And we will relocate them to a barn and we'll, we'll put them in a cage with food and water and everything for a couple of weeks so they get to, to see what the situation is that they're in right now. So they'll, it's, they need to learn that this is going to be home. And so they'll watch the rodents, they'll watch the birds or whatever. You know, if there's a koi pond, you know, they could try fishing, who knows. Um, but they will see all this stuff. And then when we let them out, they will stick around, especially if we, we keep a, a food dish, food and water, they will learn that, that this is their new home. We had a situation on a local ranch that I had to relocate six cats that some irresponsible homeowner left, just left behind when she moved out. Oh, that's terrible. They, oh, it is. It's terrible. And of course, all these cats were intact. That was my original cat math was two times four equals 32. And I caught them and relocated them to the neighbor who, she has never had a cat in her life, and she said, I'll take them all. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> okay. And now she loves cats. So we took the, the six cats, and uh, they were all set up. It was a family. It was a colony, so they were in a very large cage. 
and they were in the cage for two, three weeks, and then it came the day to open the cage. In the first 10 minutes, the mama cat had a mouse. In the first 10 minutes, she'd been watching it for wow. three weeks. <laughs> so, I bet. You know, yeah, and they, they learned fast. They, they learned fast. It's amazing. I had a barn cat once. But you know what I wonder? When you talk about how you don't adopt out the ones to barns that have pink pigment, and you explained to yes. me that it's about skin cancer, I wondered if it would be possible to adopt those cats out to barns in places where it rains a lot. Like here, you really wouldn't. I, I, wish, I wish we had enough sun that this was a concern here, but it isn't, <laughs> you know? So there are places, barns all over Washington State, here in B.C., where the color wouldn't really affect their chances in that way. You might yeah, want to yeah. set up a kitty transport if you can find farms. You know what? While we're on the subject, let's tell people if they want to get involved, if they think they can help in some way, what are four easy ways they can help? I'm, I'm sure that, well, they could donate money, but what else can they do to help? Well, uh, get in contact with uh, any local rescue operation. See if you could. There are lots of jobs you can do. There's transporting of the animals. There's trapping of the animals. There's feeding, maintaining feeding stations, which I explained why we do that. And then if we do come across kittens in the wild that are young enough, we take them in and foster them and socialize them, and they actually become pets. They're very wonderful pets. I have some right now in my garage. I have a feral mom with five babies, and I've had them since the babies were four days old. And they think I'm mom now. And, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. They're going to find wonderful homes. So there are lots of ways that, that someone can help out in this. And as, as much time as you want to spend or as little time as you want to spend, it could be, you know, transporting for a spay day. Because we do have... Um, a spay day? You know what? I like yeah. the sound of spa day better than spay day. But, okay, let's spay day. <laughs> What's a spay day? That's something where... It's- partially funded and a vet's volunteered to help out and so it's extra cheap or what's that mean, spading? Yeah, absolutely. We have volunteer vets that come in and we usually do it on a Sunday in a facility that's normally closed and then the vets will volunteer their time and there will just be a mass production line of, of cats coming in being spayed and neutered. And it's great. It, it, it's really wonderful. Um, and so there's mass trapping done a couple nights, you know, the, the first two nights before that. And it's like you uh, watch them get taken out of the cycle, out of the cycle of battles and violence and constant pregnancies and yes. have a decent life. You know what? I'm going to ask you. We've got to go to our sponsors again. And so the party keeps on moving. And we'll be back at the party in a minute with Marcy Kladnick from CatalystForCats.org. But uh, while we refresh our drinks, I'm just going to ask you to practice because I'm going to let everybody hear. You've been around cats a lot, kittens a lot, and you've picked up a few things. So I'm Mm -hmm. hoping you're going to teach my audience how they can talk to the kittens like a mama cat. And I know you've got this lovely little sound you make, almost sound like a cooing pigeon. And I copied it. I think I got it, too. But we'll see if our audience can do it. If you walk into a room full of kittens that are hidden somewhere and you do this sound, they're going to come to you. So we're off to listen to our sponsors. Stay tuned to listen to how you can be a cat caller or a kitten caller. Be the mama cat after this break. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Hey, love to read, but just never seem to have enough time to sit in one place long enough? For all of us on-the-go people, Audible has the answer. 
best-selling audiobooks for your iPod or MP3 player. For Pet Life Radio listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Choose from hundreds of today's bestsellers, including awesome pet books, such as Bad Dogs Have More Fun by Marley and Me author John Grogan, Love That Cat by Ingrid Newkirk, It's Okay to Miss the Bed on the First Jump, and Other Life Lessons I Learned from Dogs by Seinfeld's John O'Hurley, and many, many more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash animal party. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash animal party for your free audiobook. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, and welcome to The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Colleen Safford. Each week, we'll focus on different topics, child pet safety, child pet training, just how to make an appropriate pet selection for your family. All of these things will be covered in each one of our episodes. So we hope that you will join us at The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're, you're, you're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Ciao, meow, everybody. Welcome back to Animal Party. We're here with Marcy Kladnik from CatalystForCats.org. And she's been telling us about the feral colonies and how they're managed and how it works and why it's better than trapping and killing them or doing or leaving them alone. And so we've learned a lot today, but right now we're ready to learn how to act, how to sound like a mama cat and get the kittens to come to you. So would you mind, Marcy? Okay. Uh, if you are bringing food to them, you kind of go... Oh, nice. Okay, I'm going to try it. Like that? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to go find some kittens to call and see yeah. how that works. And everybody out there, practice your little cooing sound and see if you can get that. Okay, do it again for them, Marcy, in case they're trying. Okay. 
If you, you know, it sounds little... so familiar. I'm sure I've heard my cats do that on occasion, maybe when they were younger, maybe to each other when they're really affectionate and ear-licking. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure when, but I know it sounds familiar. So I'm sure people out there can try that on their kittens and see if they come. Or when you're walking by at a, I hate to say it, a pet store that has kittens. Because you know what? It's so much better if they don't. If you can buy things from stores that don't sell dogs and cats, that just sell supplies, you're helping out a lot. So please help us. Adopt from a shelter. Yeah, help us with that. Those pets are not having a good time, and every time you buy one, you're replacing it, and you're contributing to the demand, and usually it has a lot to do with puppy mills and places like that where kittens are mass-produced. So you're much better off to rescue a pet that needs a home, and you will find really fancy cats and dogs that need homes, really, purebreds and all kinds of things. You don't, I mean, I like mutts. I like domestic short-haired cats of all types, but if you want something fancy, you don't have to buy it. You can rescue it, and they will bond with you, and they will be grateful. So let's go back to these feral cats. Do any of them, what, what, if, um, what if you get a litter really young? Can you not kind of make them like people <laughs> and not return them to the wild? Like say you trap, neuter, and release the mom, and then when they're, when they're weaned, can you not maybe socialize the kittens and make them house cats, or does that never happen? Well, you can. If the kittens are less than eight weeks old, they have a chance. The younger you find them, the better it is as far as socializing is concerned. Even very young kittens can be very feral, depending on how many generations out of feralness their mom was. Yeah, which is very odd, actually. You wouldn't think it would be, but but I've had little tiny kittens hissing and spitting at me when I reached to to pick them up, and they were just itty-bitty. So there's a certain, obviously, a, a natural protection on their part. But if you catch them and what we do to calm them down is we, we actually give them a flea bath. And there's nothing more calming than warm water and being wrapped up in a towel all soapy with a, with a flea dip on them and just holding them for five minutes. And they just relax. Some of them just go limp. It's amazing. And then uh, it, that's all part of the taming that we do if they're really feral. But they they make wonderful pets. They turn into these big purr blobs, which is really, who doesn't like a purring cat on their lap? I don't know. Yeah. Well, or on your book, which is more usually the case, or at your feet when you're about to walk. But <laughs> splitting hairs here. So I know you have a bi-weekly cat column. It's been going for over two years. Would you let us know some of the topics they'll find if they go to catalystforcats.org and look up your column? What are some of the things they can read about? Well, I, deal, uh, I do deal with the, the feral population um, issues, but I also do a lot of things for, for pet owners, like little tricks of the trade on just little things that I've learned on taking care of cats, um, how to protect your cats from coyotes maybe, staying sane when you've had had a death in the family of, of one of your pets or something, how to uh, make toys. Good, oh, that's good. a nice one. That would be fun for crafts and Christmas gifts and things like that with kids. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yes. And how to grow catnip also because that's, that's also a good, good thing for your cats because your cats like to eat green things. And well, you know what? Since you mentioned catnip, I'll just tell people catnip, cat grass, cat mint, call all the same thing you can get it's different varieties of a similar thing you can get that at a green store nursery or at a pet store and plant it in your garden 
but <clears throat> what I recommend for people is if you want to have cats in your garden, then keep this in mind. They like things that are dry and sandy, soft surfaces. They don't like anything that smells like citrus. So if you want to set aside an area of your garden that will welcome cats, invite cats, be cat visited, and then you get the rodent and bug deterrent effect, if you want to do that, then this is what you do. And you can do it in a perimeter way. So they're always helping you keep those things you don't want out of your garden. If you want to keep cats away, you go the opposite. So lots of things that smell citrusy. There's a plant called rue, R-U-E, that they don't like. Get a rock garden. Make it sharp rocks. They won't go there. Water it. Not so it's soaked. But often, so it's always damp. They don't like that. But if you're trying to deter cats, it's always easier to do it if you can set aside a small area that draws them. And then they'll just do their business there and be there and help you out with your gardening. So Catnip or catmint is also very invasive in your garden. So what I do is I recommend planting it in a pot. Otherwise, it's going to, it can take over your garden. Yeah, that's important. It is a lot like mint that way, Um, Mm -hmm. but it has beautiful purple flowers, sometimes white, sometimes light purple, sometimes even a deep purple. There are different varieties, but if you're talking about uh, catnip itself, cat grass looks more like a grass, but they like that too. And it's not bad for people. There's all kinds of ways you can use it. If you look it up in the herbal books, there's all kinds of remedies that catnip is called for. So uh, it's a nice addition to your garden, but you definitely want to watch the invasiveness, and it'll do better in something like a clay pot than it will just in plastic or something like that. It's a true herb. It likes the herb situation. And so do cats. Cats would love to hang out in your herb garden, your lavender, your mint. That's where they want to be. Okay, (laughs) not near your onions and your garlic. (laughs) And and you do um, use citrus peels. You know, a lot of people compost them and they put them in the soil and they use them to deter bugs. That's great, but just don't do that in the cat area because they really don't like the, the smell of citrus. So I wanted to bring something up. In the news, there was a terrible story about coyotes being slaughtered. A whole a ton of them, 18,000 in the last few months because there's a bounty for them in Saskatchewan where you get 20 bucks for every coyote you come in with. And they actually just come in with the paws, which is just disgusting. But anyway, so... They found 37 coyotes dumped, all their bodies, without their paws, in another province. So that's like another state, right? So people went across the border, killed them all, grabbed their paws, went back to get their money. So it's clearly not what the, what the authorities had in mind. It's not part of the park management. It has nothing to do with the population trying to control. And anyway, coyotes cannot be controlled through mass killing. They can only be controlled through food source, like you were mentioning about the cats. If there's a lot of food, coyotes will have more pups. If there's not a lot of food and there's too many coyotes, there's encroaching mountain lions and other animals, whatever the reason, then they'll have less pups. Less females will get pregnant each year. And so every time you slaughter a whole bunch, the few that remain, and there's always a few that remain, will have pups like crazy. And in no time, you'll be back to the old numbers. So this just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all in coyote populations. And it especially doesn't work when you factor greed in and humanity and how we'll take them from anywhere to satisfy the quota. So I want to talk to you just... How do feral cats fit into this? Why, when you talk to people who say, you know what, cats aren't native to North America, let's just catch them all and kill them all and be done with it. Why doesn't that work? Because then there would be a population explosion of the rodents, the the gophers and the rats and the mice. And the rats, I believe, came over on ships also. They weren't indigenous to the North Americans. Uh, And... And that's a problem because that gets into our food source directly because it's in all the processing plants and the granaries and and everything else. And we need the feral cats out there to help with this. 
Well, that's how cats found their way to joining humanity in the first place in Egypt when they had the giant granaries and the desert conditions. This is what cats are meant to do. So I see your point. If you get rid of the cats, you're going to need pesticides and poisons, and we just don't want to be going that way, especially if you're talking about sensitive roosting areas, natural areas on cliffs where shorebirds come. I mean, that's not where we want pesticides and poisons. This is crazy thinking. Animals manage animals better. So I think you're totally right on this, and, and it's pretty true, isn't it? How, it must be working for you, the TNR. Oh, it, it absolutely does. We, we have reduced the, the feral population in the county. Oh, Tremendously, it's it's great. We have uh, we have stable colonies, which is what we were aiming at, and they do stabilize. Even though uh, they don't breed, they, there will be always those cats out there that are intact that wander in. So it keeps the the colonies at a at a pretty level state as far as numbers are concerned. Well, even when you talk about the colony and you talk about things like them dying by coyotes or birds of prey or, yeah, well, if the cats aren't there to feed those animals, what's going to feed those animals? I mean, they're part of a chain. They're not, they're not just predators. They're prey, too. And they're living in the thick of it, coexisting there successfully. I think sometimes we like to think of the birds as indigenous, even though many of them have had to alter their migration routes and will continue to have to alter migration routes. And the birds are definitely under siege, but I don't think getting rid of feral cats is going to solve the problem for the birds at the moment. The big thing that would help them would be controlling our own pollution and our own use of pesticides and uh, fertilizers because that's what's hurting the birds the most. And understanding uh, what spay and neuter is really all about. It's more than just breeding. It's, It's also the health of your animal. So you need to think about as a pet owner, because there will always be cats, there will always be puppies, many more than we can find homes for. When I looked at Catalyst for Cats, I know that one of the most important things on there, even though it's all about dealing with feral cats, it's emphasized over and over again that people should spay and neuter their own pets. Why is that so important to Catalyst for Cats and to you? Uh, Well, spaying and neutering is better for the health of the animal, and the cats really don't need to breed. The old way of thinking was, oh, let them have the first litter of kittens. It's better for them. And that's really not true. We actually spay and neuter very young. We we do it at at eight weeks, which is people go, really? No kidding. (laughs) I actually had one kitten, which was in a very unfortunate situation. There were some teenage boys using a litter of kittens as target practice for BB guns. Oh, God. And, and I wonder, I, you know, the parents, you've got to think, there's such a strong link between kids who do stuff like that and later problems, and problems with other people yeah. and violence. I mean, and something's yeah. being done to these kids is making them like this. Somebody has to intervene. This is the stuff that makes you take your kid to a counselor. I mean, I've gone through this before with the SPCA, but if you have a kid who's acting out against animals in any way and you're wondering about it, go to the ASPCA website. There's a whole list there of things to watch out for and then how you can get some help because it's really important. Before your big boy turns this on his little sister, get get some help. Okay, mm-hmm. so what did you do? So anyway, so there was one, one little kitten that uh, had his eye shot out and so we needed to, to remove the eye. So he was only four weeks old. He was only 15 ounces and the vet was going to be removing his eye, and I said, well, since he's going to be under, is there any chance you could just neuter him at the same time so he doesn't have to go under again? And she said, yeah, I could. So we had one kitten that was neutered at four weeks, 
And he yeah. turned out to be the sweetest little kitten, and we found a wonderful home for him. So that was all good news. Well, you and, know what? I think there's a bit of an old macho attitude, especially about dogs, and I see it here at Camp Good Dog sometimes. And, you know, the dogs who are in a breeding program, like you mentioned, we have some dogs from uh, guide dog programs who come here, and they're breeding stock, and they're some of their offspring help people see, and there's a reason they're kept intact, and they have a life. Those studs get they get to see a, a female in heat, and they get to be with her, and they're not crazy for it 24-7 because they're denied it. They get an outlet, and they understand what it's for and when to use it, and they're pretty functional dogs. They get along with everybody, but the ones that I see that are intact and aren't being bred properly have no outlet at all are really, really socially struggling. They don't get along. They can't go to the dog park. They can't be off-leash. They can only be walked with dogs of the opposite gender and only certain ones. They're often looking for trouble, quick to rise to any possible challenge. You know, they've got issues. There's no question. And if they smell a female in heat, God help you if you're trying to keep that dog from that female and there's traffic between you or, <laughs> or something that could hurt him. So really, if you don't have an outlet for your dog, if you just think, oh, I love my dog, I love my cat, she's so beautiful, someday I'll breed her and I'll have a cat just like her, that's really wrong thinking. You know, in the meantime, the chances of your dog or cat getting out and making tons of offspring that nobody wants, including the litter that you only want one of, is, is just huge, 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 vast majority, that's what happens. But even if you're a lucky enough to only have it mate the one time you wanted and find homes for every single offspring, you've still got a miserable pet most of the time. And a, a loose cannon <laughs> waiting to run away and go into heat without you knowing it at any time. Or zip over under the fence and get at the neighbor's female at any time. So it's really not worth chancing. And you can find a dog or cat exactly like yours or almost exactly like yours other ways like a brother-sister, similar parents. There's all kinds of ways. Look on the Internet. You'll see their faces, the dogs and cats waiting for homes. You'll see what they look like. No guesswork, like with a puppy or a kitten. You can see what they're like. Find one exactly like what you want. So is there anything else you want to leave people with? I know they can go find out about all your columns at catalystforcats.org, and they can volunteer, and they can find out how they can help. There's all different ways. Mostly it's about neutering and spaying your own pets, and sending the message to every time it comes up that you're for trap, neuter, and release colonies, TNR colonies, and that they don't hurt the birds, and that it's part of the solution, and helping Marcy and Catalyst for Cats spread the word. Is there anything you'd like to tell people, Marcy, before we go? No, just consider the welfare of your cats and your pets and, uh, and your own household, because you will see your pet, when it, if it's a male intact, how it wants to get out. It can drive your home crazy uh, because it will start spraying around inside your house and there's nothing smellier than an intact male's urine and your female it's not will drive you crazy. It's not his no. fault. If you have an intact male with desires and home hormones and urges and he can smell a female in heat a few acres away he, and you live in a city or a suburb where there's a lot of them, he can't help mm -hmm. himself. He is going mm -hmm. to chew apart the sofa that's right near the door. Just don't get mad at him. Get mad at yourself and make the vet appointment. So, <laughs> so and it's the same with the female. When the females go into heat, they just they don't know what's wrong. They just drive you crazy. And we had a situation where a female pet went into heat, and the, their way of dealing with it was to just throw her outside. Well, of course, she got pregnant and had five babies, and 
all five babies were born with uh, a genesis, which was a, it's a malformation of the upper eyelid. And it's something that would have been very expensive to correct. These were kittens that weren't wanted in the first place. And we ended up having to put the whole litter down, which was extremely sad. She should have been spayed. The mom should have been spayed in the first place, so it never happened. Well, and there are many vets out there who won't spay your cat once it goes into heat. So you really ought to do it first. But the Mm -hmm. noise they make, the noise they make that gets a cat thrown out, and really you don't want to throw your cat out when it's in heat. That's the worst thing you can do. That noise, do you think you could imitate it? I think I could give it a shot. (laughs) And it gets louder and louder and louder like a car alarm. And if that doesn't work, like a car alarm, the cat will change its noise just ever so slightly in case you've tuned it out. They'll switch to a different gear. So, yeah, no, they'll make you let them out. So just get them spayed first because once they get out there, they're going to find a whole bunch of different papas and get as pregnant as they can get and probably disappear somewhere. And the whole thing starts all over again. And really, if you like the birds, if you like the cats, you don't want to be contributing to the problem. Help. You know, neuter or spay your cat. That's the least you can do. And if you want to do some more, maybe you can't have a cat right now, but you could in the cage for a week while it's waiting a vet appointment in your garage. We've got a cat for you <laughs> at catalystforcats.org. They need these weird little placements, not very much time, and usually the cats are, are caged because they're, they're not meant to go into your home. They're meant to be re-released. But if you have the time to drive to the vet a couple of times and feed it and clean up after it for a week, then they could really use your help at catalystforcats.org. And there's other, other cat rescue places, too. They're all over North America. Anywhere you're listening, you can find uh, cat rescue just by going on, on the web and checking it out. They could even go to the local shelters because I don't know how it is up there, but our shelters down here are very understaffed and they have too many animals. So many, many animals are being euthanized in the shelters now because they don't have the staff to care for them. So go volunteer at your, at your local shelter, too. That's and you'll get so much back. I mean, you'll, even little things like going and just brushing cats for an hour or playing with kittens or, um, you know, there's all kinds of jobs that you can do there. They're not paying you. You get to pick what you want. You know, <laughs> and there's cats galore. So if you wish you could have a cat but you can't, maybe someone in your family won't let you or you're, you know, you just can't right now, go visit a cat shelter. You will get your fill of cats and you'll feel good. Like you'll leave there thinking, you know what, I did a good thing. A lot of those cats will be more socialized and more calm. So pick your favorite one and boil it like mad and you watch. It'll find a home. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Marcy. Thanks for coming to our party at Animal Party. We're out of time, unfortunately. I can see them uh, taking the chairs down, and the waiters are hinting. They want us to know it's um, time to go. So (laughs) thank you so much for coming to the party, Marcy. It's been great having you. Well, thank you. I had a good time. So check out CatalystForCats.org, and stay in there to your cat. And I'll see you all at the next Animal Party. Be good to your animals. Ciao, meow. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.